Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup and our episode on Group B. We recorded this a few days before the Euro started, um, but today it is... What day is it, Dave? It's Sunday the 13th. Sunday the 13th. So it's the day after Group B uh, played their first games. Um, Obviously, Denmark's first game was marred by, well, the tragic situation surrounding Christian Eriksen. We've made sure that the, we have the most up-to-date news before we release the episode and so we don't say anything stupid. But just so you, uh, those listening know, uh, none of that had happened when we initially recorded this episode. Um, so if we say, say anything disrespectful to Christian Eriksen, uh, then I apologise, but I don't think we do. I don't think we do, no. We I like... think we've just seen he's a good player. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, yes, if that's why it's not mentioned. Uh, obviously, the all of us here are... Uh, the two of us who watches the World Cup are, are wishing Christian Eriksen the best. Uh, and we will wait to see what happens with the tournament before we kind of circle back round and go more in depth on, on what happened there. Um, so please enjoy the episode and we'll see you for Group C. Hello and welcome to Caspercast, the only podcast where we exclusively talk about the Danish hunk. That is Casper Schmeichel. Ooh, baby. With me, <laughs> with me as always, to drool over that Danish keeper is Dave Bryan. Dave, are you feeling sexy today? Sexier now. I'm hearing like smooth <laughs> sax music in the background in my head. Yeah, when I edit in the uh, the theme song for this, I might I might swap for a bit of Marvin Gaye yeah. while I'm at it. No. I'm sorry to disappoint all of you sexy listeners that have come for Caspercast, but this is Who Watches the World Cup, the only podcast in the internet that I have heard that compares the international politics with the teams competing in this year's Euro Tournament 2020. Dave, conveniently, Caspercast is also on Group B, uh, the, the group that includes Sexy Denmark, Fantastic Finland, brilliant Belgium, and rubbish Russia. <laughs> I wondered what you were going to do for that. Yeah, thank you. So, let's jump straight into some football. What what do you what do you make of Group B? Is this a balanced group? Uh, Russia are a team that we thought weren't going to perform particularly well in the World Cup in twenty eighteen, and then surprised us. Actually, we started off being reasonably like negative on the team, and then by the end of it, oh. The hosts, the hosts did pretty well. So, what do you what do you make of this group? Yeah, that was a surprise actually at the last World Cup. And it goes, a lot can be said for being the host and having that extra something it gives you. Um, yeah, this group, I, I feel differently about it now that I've looked into it more than I did at first glance. Um, at first glance, and even when you look into it more, you're thinking Belgium are going to go through first. That's kind of a given, unless they something goes terribly, terribly wrong. Um, and, you know, Finland are the minnows and, you know, they're kind of, they're probably just happy to be there. <laughs> so right. you don't expect them necessarily to get, pull off any results, but, you know, it's fun. It's nice that they're there. And then I guess Denmark and Russia are the two that I would say are a bit more evenly matched. So 
we're definitely favouring Belgium to top the group. That seems to be, like, it could have been any of the major teams in this one, right? When they pull it out, like, it could have been France, yeah, they're going to top it. It could have been Germany, yeah, they'd probably top it. It just happens in this group that Belgium got the draw, right? It's yeah. none, of, none of the rest of the group are really challenging a major European. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure uh, when the draw was made, Belgium were like, sweet, I think we're guaranteed to be mm-hmm. into the knockout rounds now. Nothing's really going to trouble us here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go straight for Belgium then. They're one of the favourites for uh, for the tournament, as they have been for every tournament. Are they still ranked the number one team in the world by the coefficient? I would expect I them think? to be, yeah. I don't yeah, even though they've actually... Yeah, they haven't successfully won a major tournament yet. And they're like kind of hungry to do so while they've got this golden generation. What do you make of the Belgian squad this year? And why is Jeremy Duku, Count Duku's son most likely to claim young player of the tournament. Who are you talking about? Jeremy Duku. Do you know Dave, do you not know Jeremy Duku? I don't know Jeremy oh Duku. my goodness. Well let me tell you why I know oh, I, I know Jeremy Duku. Yeah. Because other awful commentary uh fans will know of uh, Steve who I created the channel with. We did the European Super Cup episode together and many, many things on the Awful Commentary YouTube channel. Uh, and our school friend Alex, who we just released a, a Let's Play on Football Manager with, um, me, Steve and Alex did a, a multiplayer Football Manager group together, where we all picked a team in Belgium with the idea of getting the Belgian league ranked as highly as other European tournaments. Right. So we all took a Belgian squad and like we didn't take one of the major ones. We took one of the minor ones to try and get Belgian football to be better recognised. And my dream player was Anderlecht Jeremy Duku. <laughs> We, st- we started playing. We did this during lockdown, I think, while I was actually still living in Russia. And uh, Jeremy Duku, at the time, he was 19 years old. So this was last year or the year before. He's 19 years old. He plays for Anderlecht. He's clearly a relative of Christopher Lee's Count Duku. I mean, of course. Uh, the spelling is not yeah, important. And- no, 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 no. Come on, Doku. There's no way. There's no way. It's Duku. Maybe he didn't want to right. trade a bit like uh, Nicolas Cage. You know, like he was born mm-hmm. Nicolas Coppola, but didn't want to trade yeah. off the Coppola family name. So he changed it ever so slightly to Cage. Jeremy's done the same thing and gone, I don't want to trade off the legacy of uh, my Sith Lord father. I'm going to just co- knock out one of those O's and make, make a legacy of my own. Yes, yeah, and now that I've spoken enough bullshit about Jeremy Duku <laughs> for you to have a chance to look up who he is, is there anything there? Because I've seen him being spoken about this year. I was like, when he came up and people were talking about him as a young prospect for this tournament, I was like, yes, Jeremy Duku is back. He's back in my He's life. Back, back in all of our lives. I've, yeah, I'll be yes. honest, I haven't really heard much about him. Um, I know he plays for, for Ren in, uh, in League... Oh. Uh, he left Anderlecht. He left Anderlecht, yeah. But he, he played a good 30 games um, for them for in the league. Oh, scored a couple of goals. He's still only 19. Uh, looks like Liverpool, if you believe the rumour mill, um, uh, are interested in having a look at him. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I hadn't picked him out as a, as a standout name when I was looking through the squad. Oh, well, I'm glad to see that he's getting some recognition and a move to the Premier League would be huge for me. <laughs> yeah. If Jeremy Duku moved to the Big Premier League, that would be Dom's great. Life, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So that, 
There are a bunch of Belgian players that I like. Famously, I'm a big supporter of of the Belgian squad from previous tournaments and, and, and this one as well. We all know who the best Hazard brother is. We don't even really need to go into that. It's Thorgan. Um, but what, what do you make of the Belgian squad itself? It's It's got to be... Um, uh, it's sort of in line with how they are one of the favourites in terms of their running and their results and their ranking. Their squad is pretty impressive. Um, they've got some real world-class players in there and some strength in depth. Um, I remember we talked a lot about Edin Hazard, the, the lesser Hazard at the World Cup. The lesser, yeah. And his, He's barely even a Hazard. Barely. Well, yeah. There's one, there's one of those two brothers who's making the family proud and one of them is not. Um, but oh, Edin. yeah, Edin. And, uh, yeah, Edin Hazard was the captain of the Belgian team and the, the World Cup, yeah. and obviously they went all the way to the semi-finals. Um, but since then, since his leave left Chelsea, he's been ravaged by injuries, poor form. No one's really talking about him because he's kind of just vanished. He's not playing football, so it's almost. I wouldn't say actually it's a surprise he's been selected for the squad because he is you know a huge name and he's not currently injured as far as I'm aware, but. You almost, I almost wouldn't put him as a as a shoe in to start for for Belgium, um, but then you look at the quality of throughout the rest of the squad. Kevin De Bruyne being the, like the most pertinent one, and I, what I was reading today is that there's a chance he might start their first game after that injury he got in the Champions League final. They were saying maybe he would miss some of the group games, but there's a chance he might be playing now. And you've got uh, Romelu Lukaku, informed striker, and dangerous, huge dude. Amazing quality, great finisher, great strength. Just he's in my my fantasy team. Like there was no way I couldn't put him in there. Um, but then they've just got this great kind of um, balance in the team. A couple of good like um, central midfield players and um, Yuri Tillemans and Axel Witzel who will be the kind of the pivot there. And um, I mean Thibaut Courtois is their goalkeeper, and I've not really ever really liked him. He's got he's obviously very good, but there's something about him that I've always I don't know. It rubs me up the wrong way. There's something about his... Is it the team he plays for? It may be that he moved to Real Madrid, but I don't know. I don't really care about care about that. Um, and if anything, with their strength in, in attack, not just with Lukaku, but with a, a t- other attacking players like your boy Doku and <laughs> and Dries Mertens, Jeremy Doku, the Hazards, and and all that. I think if they have a weakness, it's in their defence, and only really because they're. We've talked about in with the Group A episode some squads maybe aging out of their best generation and we're not quite there yet with Belgium but with their defenders they're, they're two of their first choice centre-halves are still Toby Alderweireld and um, Jan Bertongen who are in their early to mid-30s um, right. Thomas Vermaelen I think he's even older he's also in the squad he's been playing in Japan for the last I don't know how many years but so in, in their, their solid central defence they have a great amount of experience but maybe their fitness or their, their legs might might um might be a bit of a weakness but going forwards on the in the wing back positions they're still exciting there so belgium may be a team that will score more goals than you <laughs> kind of kind yeah. of thing so is this a case where you've got your central defenders you've got three of them so you're you're pretty shored up you know in in that in that area but you're hoping not to get hit on the counter you're hoping not to get ball you're not going to play a high line because you don't want your central defenders to get the ball lobbed over them but if you do, you've bloody you've got your Thorgan Hazard, who's hopefully going to have a little bit of pace to kind of uh, shore up any. Well, I don't know physical issues your central defence might. Does have. he play at the back? You might know more about him than I did. I kind of picture him as more of a forward-thinking player. 
Well, I always think that as well. But if you've got Thorgan Hazard and Edin Hazard, they both generally tend to be midfielders on the left, right? Or almost attacking midfielders. Yeah. Mid- like, on, on the left. But you, you can't miss one of the Hazard brothers if you've got them both. You can't even lose the lesser one because he's the captain. I mean, I w- wouldn't it be terrific if... Well, I don't know if he is the captain for the squad this time around, but wouldn't it be terrific nah. if he gets picked, Thorgan gets picked over Edin because of the form that they're in? There's no doubt that Thorgan's yes. had a better season. <laughs> and they tend to play um, like a big rom up top, a number nine, and then De Bruyne sort of supporting left and then someone else, uh, sorry, De Bruyne supporting right and someone else supporting left. And that could well be, I think if you're going to go by reputation, you probably do pick Edin. And then maybe you can put um, Thorgan as that left wing back going up and down and you're right if he might lend a hand in defense but I, I see him way more as a he's not going to want to do that tracking back because on the right hand side mm. I think they're likely to play Thomas Mounier from Dortmund who is a up and down more traditional or classic classic wing back um, so yeah I, I mean it'd be a massive call if they leave Eden Hazard out even if he doesn't really deserve to start I'm going to leave the politics of Belgium for the moment because I think yeah, they're probably going through, right? Unless we see a major upset, in which case we'll dissect what happened to them in the future anyway. Sure. Um, chances are we'll have the chance to talk about Belgium some more in the future. So good squad, probably going to win. Let's move on. Yeah, I mean, I expect and, they'll get to the semi-final again, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go from one of my favourite teams to one of my favourite players. And uh, oh, our eyebrows are doing a roller coaster right now. <laughs> now, people might be confused when I said welcome to Caspercast, because, of course, everyone knows that I have the world's biggest crush on Casper Schmeichel. But they may have been thinking, Dominic, are you actually talking about Danish coach Kasper Hjumland? <laughs> and I would say, <laughs> say, no, I'm not, but I could be. Is, is so he also we've got. Handsome? Well, he's also called Casper, which is <laughs> good enough. <laughs> that's pretty much it. I tell you, what, while we're talking, because if I if I have, I have to be a little bit honest, I don't know what uh, Casper Hajulmund looks like. So while you run me through the Danish squad, and while you're doing that, I'll get you rate the Danish squad. I'll rate the Danish coach. Okay. Well, we'll start with Casper. Obviously, like he's not just. Um... <sighs> Sorry, I said his name. Dom, Dom yeah, sorry, my heart's a flutter. <laughs> yeah, he's their he's a, their leader as well as their their number one goalkeeper and arguably their most important player. Um, so yeah, I think he's just as, just as important for Denmark as he has been for Leicester over the last God knows how long has he been there ten years or something. Uh, and come- yeah, this is this is the second player today who's on my fantasy football squad as well. Yeah, yeah, Thorgan Hazard of course and Casper Schmeichel both on. Yeah, good yeah. calls, good calls. Um, so yeah, he's there. He's there at the back, and for, well, the way I look at the Danish squad is that they've got quite a lot of surprisingly good players. It's just that the further forward you go, the more sporadically they're spread out, and the less confidence you would have in them. So you've got Casper at the back, so you know he can he can organise and he's going to make saves and he's big. And they're likely to play three at the back, and if they do, they've got Jerkim Anderson, uh, who played at Fulham last year and was. You know, came in on loan, then took the captain's armband and led them quite admirably, even though they ended up getting relegated. Um, Andreas Christensen from Chelsea, and you've got Simon Kajer from Milan. Like, those are p- three pretty solid centre-halves, and I think any team would be glad to have them. 
And you've also got Yannick Vestergaard from, from Saints. So, you know, they've kind of got four good centre-halves that might be all competing for one play, uh, for two or three places. Um, and then, obviously, you've got Christian Eriksen. They're number 10. They're kind of talisman, the one that they'll look to to try and create things, um, supported by Pierre-Emerick Hoiberg in the sort of a holding defensive midfielder role. And he's been pretty impressive, I think, since he's moved um, from Southampton to Spurs. Um, but then when you get up front, that's where I start to wonder where their goals might come from. Like, sure, you might have some pretty solid defenders and you might have a good goalkeeper and you've got a good screen in front of the defence. And then you've got Christian Eriksen. But who's Christian Eriksen got to work with here? Right. Like with Inter Milan, he's had Romelu Lukaku to feed. And I don't know how much he's actually played. I know there was a lot of um, controversy around his move from Spurs and then he never got played at Milan. But maybe... um, that's changed in the last year when they won the Serie yeah, from, from the little bit that I know from having done some tiny bits of research, he was on the transfer list at Milan in January. Conte was like ready to get rid of him. And then by the end of the season, he'd somehow managed to turn it around um, and was like praised for the role that he played in helping Milan win. So at the beginning, he was disposable and they were like ready to get rid of him. But by the end, he's grown into form. Um, and I got a little quote here where he says, after they just entered just one Syria A, I never thought it would be easy. I've turned it around and now I've even won the championship. I am really pleased. So, wow. good for you. He's a very, good for he's you, a very enthusiastic guy, isn't he? I am very pleased. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah that, that was my reading of him, to be fair. But he, he's, uh, it says here where it's talking about him that he's publicity shy. Yeah, um, yeah, he's not. He's not known for being cocky. People like him because he's a, he's a bit more reserved. Um, yeah, yeah, and obviously it's it's like he was absolutely vital in that Spurs squad that went to the Champions League final for sure. Right, like yeah, and then the, he left, and then they got worse, and then they got worse, and then they got worse, and he got worse, and then it, it's good that you know in this last couple of months he's been able to make it happen. Yeah, again. I'm happy for him. I think he's a good player, and I like that he's a bit more reserved and doesn't seem to be very up himself. And well, I think Spurs wouldn't have let him go if they didn't have Delhi Ali, who they, I think they thought was going to mature and fill the gap of, the, of that creative playmaker role. But then his form has been so sporadic over the last couple of years. And um, he seems to be a very confidence um, driven player. Um, so I, again, I like Delhi Ali. I want him to, to come to come good, but um, uh, yeah, Christian Eriksen will make this Danish team tick if the guys around him are worthy of all the effort and the quality that he has, because I see he's got, they've got up front, they've got Martin Braithwaite, who's a bit part player at Barcelona, and Yusuf Poulsen at RB Leipzig, who's quite quite a talented guy. But they've they've got no one to rely on up there. So mm-hmm. I think if we look at, if you, um, we look at their games at the end of the group stage, they, we might find they don't get slaughtered by anybody, except maybe Belgium, if Belgium just... Belgium, I think, want to turn, it, turn on. it on. If they just yeah. decide they want to score six goals, they might do. But uh, yeah. otherwise, I think it'll be quite... The game, Danish games will be quite tight. Um, but, it's, yeah, I just don't see them scoring many. That When they, um, in their qualification, they're in the same qualification group as Switzerland, which I said in the last episode was quite a tight group. Um, and neither... Switzerland finished top, Denmark second. And, you know, Denmark only won half their games. They won four, drew four. And I think that they just didn't lose any somehow miraculously, which got them through ahead of the ahead of the Republic of Ireland. Which are, and I think they yeah they went to Georgia and drew nil nil. I mean, 
Right. Uh, they, they beat them 5-1 at home, but then they go there to Georgia okay. and draw nil-nil. And I think they drew away to the Republic of Ireland as well. So the, the, you can't always expect goals from them. So um, before I looked into this properly, I thought that maybe uh, Denmark would be looking at us getting through second place behind Belgium. But now I'm not so sure. Oh, interesting. Okay. And this, I mean, they, they've got a bit of an advantage here because the group, half the games are being played in Russia and half the games, I think, are being played in Denmark. Yeah, their, their first think. game in, against Finland is uh, in Copenhagen. Right. So that's going to be like a, a definite advantage for them. As you're saying, they beat Georgia 5-1 at home and then went away and, and suffered a bit. But like they they do have the advantage of the home field for, you know, for their matches. Um in fact, even when they play Russia for the away leg, it's also in Copenhagen. So it seems like actually they never even have to leave. Um, they don't. They don't have to travel at all, which is pretty convenient for them. Yeah, I would imagine that, that certainly will maybe uh, play out as a bit of an advantage. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, to Finland then, because otherwise I'm going to have to tear myself away from from Casper Casper Hjolmund, By the way, yeah. not not bad, not a bad older man. Forty nine years old. He's he's kept himself he's kept himself fit. He's active, handsome. He's a, he's a handsome older man. Well, that's good. I look forward to um, any cutaways to the bench during the Finland games that we watch, and so you can uh, be a bit, a bit giddy about it. Yeah. People to keep your eyes, uh, keep your eyes out for. Kasper Schmeichel, great keeper, won the FA Cup for Leicester. Yeah. Christian Eriksen, can he deliver for the national team? Kasper Hjolmund, silver fox. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Finland. Then, what do you make? What do you make of the Finns? Um, I'll, they're an underdog that I hope don't get embarrassed because, like I said, are they um. They'll they'll be glad just to be there. They haven't ever qualified for Euros before. Is it their first the one? First ever Euros. Wow. Um, so I kind of just want them to enjoy themselves and and have a good time. And maybe like we've seen in other major tournaments in the World Cup and the last Euros, sometimes these small countries can upset bigger teams. And I would love it if they did a bit of an Iceland and just kind of caught the world by surprise, captured their imaginations, and everyone kind of like a Finland become everyone's second team kind of thing um but in terms of their quality and football they they're surely going to finish bottom of the group i can't i can't see them doing doing much here um they've got timu puki as their striker who um can see can score goals for fun in the championship for norwich but then when he, he had that the um, se- uh, last season before the one we just finished when they were in the ch- premiership he couldn't he had a good start to the season then he just tailed off um but back in the championship again he can score them for fun so He's got some. He's got some. Uh, I was going to say pedigree, but he's got definitely got some skills to poach some goals. So if they get lucky, he's kind of the guy you would kind of want on the team. Um, Glenn Kamara just won the Scottish Premier League with Rangers this year, and he was a real standout performer in central midfield. Um, and I don't know. I did, there's not really much more you can you can pick and choose. They've got some players who play in like the the American second division for Minnesota United. Oh, no and. Uh, the one of the, one Not of the, the MLS 2. 
two. Whatever that is I'm not sure it's not called that. Yeah, and they've got one the of the two LS. One of their goalkeepers plays for Bristol Rovers. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking managed by Joey Barton. They've just been relegated. Managed by Joey Barton, who is now having to go to Sheffield for a court appearance because he beat up a guy. But it's been delayed until November because the uh, the video uh, the video Skypey whatever thing broke. <laughs> they couldn't do the trial, so he's. Everything about that is a travesty. I couldn't tell. I wasn't sure when when I brought up Bristol Rovers because I know there's Bristol Rovers and Bristol City, one of which you hate. And okay, so Bristol City you hate, Bristol Rovers you're okay with. Yeah. And then Bath City beat them, Trump them both. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're in this household. Well, actually, we're divided. We're divided between two of us, North Bristol boys, which is Bristol Rovers, and then one one of us, my disgusting brother. <laughs> is a South South Bristol boy, which means Bristol City. But <laughs> it's so so divided Bath, and it's so so close knit. Yeah, but then Bath City, they bring you all together. Perfection, perfection. Yeah. Well, yeah, Finland. Yeah, could maybe could maybe surprise some people that they obviously got here. They qualified um, uh, second in their group behind Italy, who ran away with it. They were the other team that won all ten mm-hmm. games. So Finland got through ahead of Greece and ahead of Bosnia, and then the two, <laughs> the two team bu- dummy teams in that group, Armenia and Liechtenstein. So they they lost to they lost to Italy, and I think they lost one of their games to Bosnia. But otherwise, you know, they put together a good string of results to get here. So um, yeah, I'd, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they play on the big stage. Okay, that's interesting. So there's no there's no one here that you see other than than Puki who like. Again, much like Ericsson, seems to be a kind of like a reserved, humble kind of player. Yeah. Um, like it says here, after he scored his first Premier League hat-trick, he went straight home to look after his daughter, having promised his wife she could go out for the evening. So he... <laughs> what a fucking sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know I just scored a hat-trick in the biggest league on the planet, but you've got to have girls' night. You've got to have girls' night. So, that doesn't mean that other players didn't come over and party at Pookie's place. PPP. <laughs> PPP, party at Pookie's place. Uh, yeah, so, speaking of... Sorry, go on. I was, I was going speaking of parties at Pookie's place, it might be time to bring up Pussy Riot. Really? That's earlier than I was expecting them to come up in this episode. Well, unless you've got anything more to say about Finland... There's nothing, nothing that should derail our segue into Pussy Riot. Because there's only one team in Russia that we're supporting this year, and it's Pussy Riot! Pussy Riot! <laughs> Russia. Yes. Russia, Euro 2020. In the World Cup, we said, these may be the weakest host since Qatar, four years in the future. <laughs> and then... And then they actually they did a remarkable job. Um, we went into it sl- like uh, slandering the country, slandering the team, saying they got nothing to offer. It's a dictatorship. By the end of it, you were like, oh, I've come around on this team. And then I moved there. So uh, it was an interesting, an interesting turn of events. <laughs> it was, yeah. And brave of you to spend a whole summer slandering uh, <laughs> the most powerful, arguably the most powerful man on the planet and then moving to his country for shortly Yeah, after. well, that's the, 
that's the kind of uh, balls to the walls action that my life was before the pandemic. <laughs> no, so so actually, it all kind of coincided with the World Cup because when we recorded the 2018 World Cup, I was living uh, in the south of China. I was living in Xiamen, and then at the end of the World Cup people who may have just listened to the World Cup final episode will hear that me and Dave were in the same house because I returned from China back to the UK for the summer. Um, it was a very interesting summer, very traumatic in many ways, but the World Cup was great. Um, but then on on my way back to start teaching at the end of the summer, back to China, I stopped in at Moscow to, uh, to visit a friend who was living there uh, and then realized actually I was desperately in love with her and that I wanted to, uh, wanted to, uh, we wanted to be together. Um, and she lived in Moscow and that was basically the end of the conversation. So I left China and moved, and moved to Russia. Um, unfortunately, after a, a year and a half in the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, it, the pandemics have a way of ruining relationships, it turns out. But what it meant was, was that all of the things that I had said about Russia in the the summer before, uh, where I was like, oh, it's a country that's like this, and it's like this, and the news says it's like this, and if you watch the BBC, they'll tell you A, they'll tell you A, and in America, they'll tell you B, and then you talk to a Russian person, and they're like, that's not what Russia's really like. But then I lived there, so I got to see what was true and what wasn't true. Um, and I was there for long enough to, to really, to, to kind of, to, to know to know the country pretty, pretty solidly. Um, and to make loads of Russian friends that I really value, like, like really, really, really good people. And to have met exactly the kind of people you would expect. <laughs> the, the negative stereotypes come true. Yes. Yeah. And Russia is one of those interesting countries where like, I, I really loved my time living in Moscow before the pandemic came. Um, and I loved, like, all of the friends that we made over there were really awesome. But when it came time to leave, it was like, yeah, that's fine. And I'm not in a particular hurry to go back. Well, hopefully there's no need to. Yes, yeah, this is true. These days, yeah, these days there's definitely not. So, the Russian national team. Da. Da, da, da. What do you make of, of this national team? Because before the last World Cup... Yeah, in the World Cup, you're saying, eh, and then they surprised us. Have did the last World Cup give them a boost, or have the players moved around? Are there more influential players this time? What's the, what's it looking like? I now that you mention that, I would have been great to compare this squad to the last one because uh, I think we spoke about last time that so much, so many of the Russian team play for their local football in Russia. They don't play yeah. much around Europe. And looking at the squad now, that does still seem to be the case. Uh, I can see a few that are scattered around. Uh, I can see Atalanta, I can see Valencia, um, I can see Monaco. Uh, but on the, on the, for the most part, they all still do play their football in Russia. And the most heartbreaking thing that I don't know if you've noticed that I have to bring you to your attention otherwise is that there is, it there is no eager fire this time. <sighs> that is a loss on par with the loss of my relationship. Well, here's, let me pose you this question. <laughs> yeah. what, what would, if I had to choose between my ex and Igor Akinfeyev, which would I go with? It's a tough choice. I think I've got an even tougher decision for you. If yeah. Igor Akinfeyev was at this tournament, who would you have as your fantasy goalkeeper? Kasper Shemai. Oh, okay. That was even hard. Yes. If it was five, if, no, maybe more than five years ago. Ten years ago, Akinfeyev. 
no doubt. Every day, every day. But the reason the reason that he's that he's not at this tournament is because he's about five hundred years old. No, he's only thirty five. But he, re- is he, he retired from international football after um, after the last World Cup. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that seems like going out on a high. Yeah, I suppose so. But he was young. Like goalkeepers tend to can play way into their late thirties if they they stay healthy. Mm. And he's still playing for CSK Moscow. Bloody hell! He's been there since two thousand and two, and he's played four hundred and eighty five games. Yeah, that's why he was big on Championship Manager. You, but then you ripped him away from his from his homeland. You ripped him away from CSK Moscow to play for whatever team you uh, signed him. No, for. I, I played as Cheska. I played. Oh, as, you played, I played as, 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 as okay. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Well, and then I probably got him for Aston Villa or something. No, I got Joe Hart for Aston Villa because yeah. Joe Hart was a good player, and the Premier League ruined him. Oh yeah, he's had, he had a sad descent, didn't he? Bless him. Yeah, I used to like I like Joe Hart a lot. Yeah, me too. But anyway, even without Ekinfeev, um, they've got I think probably a similar thing to what I said last time. They've got a few players that um, may well be a bright spark that can make things happen, but. Maybe that's not. I'm thinking about it the, the wrong way. Maybe what made them so good last time was the fact that they were just a team without any big stars, and they right. all right. they they pulled together and they did it all. But then, who knows? Maybe the World Cup was a was a blip, was a fluke, was whatever magic and influences and pressures are on them at that tournament. Um, obviously benefited them, but now without all of that, without that home team pressure, do they actually have the quality to go? And and do it. I know they've got. I think their first game against Belgium is is in Saint Petersburg, isn't it? So they may have a bit of a that home field advantage that did them so well three years ago. But um, if I'm going to pick out a few players, I like Alexander Golovin. Of he's one of the players who's gone away from from Russian football. He plays in Monaco, and I think I did even shouted him out before the World Cup, and then he didn't actually do much. Um, but a player who did do a fair bit in that World Cup, and I think he's going to be really influential this time. And he's in my fantasy team, or was. Oh, nice. I think maybe he got he got displaced at the last minute, but Artem Zuba, giant centre-forward, I think he's a real handful. And as he, as he showed in the World Cup, he's not just a big dude who can win headers. He had a great touch and scored a, a good few goals. So, um, Whereas, if I was going to compare them to Denmark, I think Russia might find goals easier to come by. If if not, that they might leak a few more. Um, Mario Fernandez, one of their defenders, does play for CSKA Moscow. He's a kind of marauding, marauding right wing back. Um, so he may be very helpful in creating goals, but maybe his, the defensive part of his game is not his strength. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I found it difficult to pick between Denmark and Russia, who would really be most likely to go through in second place behind Belgium. Um, I um, right now, I feel like I'm leaning towards Russia, and they, Russia and Belgium, are actually in the same qualification group for this tournament, and Russia were comfortably in second place. Obviously, Belgium dicked it, <laughs> won one or ten of their <laughs> games, um, and then Russia won eight of their ten games. The only games they lost were against Belgium, so they came like was it nine points ahead of third place Scotland, who got through on that third place qualification thing. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm I'm talking myself around to going for Russia to finish second in this group. Right, so your prediction for the group, most likely, Belgium, Russia, Denmark, Finland. Yes. That's how you see it That's playing That's how out. I can picture it playing out, although, like I said, uh, we'd love to see some magical underdog story with Finland upsetting um, upsetting some of the bigger countries, but it's, it's unlikely, let's say that much. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that Denmark managed to get their way through for obvious reasons. More more Casper, more kisses <laughs> is my motto. And more points for your um, fancy team if you <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I only thought I hadn't thought of, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So anyone who's listened to the last episode of Who Watches the World Cup, the, the World Cup final, 2018. We'll know it was a great game. France v Croatia. France tore away with it in the end, but Croatia put up a valiant, a valiant fight. Unfortunately, too valiant for England, who have to face them again in, in, in Group D. Um, but there was something that kind of overshadowed the final a little bit, and it wasn't the rainstorm, Dave. <laughs> Very funny shadow joke there by, by me. Um, but the punk band Pussy Riot invaded the pitch and made a little bit of a scene uh, in front of Putin and and the world. Um, you spent some of today listening to Pussy Riot songs did, in preparation yeah. for this. Yeah. So what did you make? What did you make of uh, Russia's most influential punk band? Um, my first thought was that this isn't really punk music. And then I went, well, it's not like within the genre of punk. You wouldn't, you wouldn't listen to it. If you wanted to listen to some punk music, as you would imagine it, you wouldn't listen to Pussy Riot, but they're very punk in their attitude and their, and right. their statements. So you kind, of, like, you kind of can forgive it when most of their music sounds like electro, dance, pop, kind of those kind of vibes. So, um, yeah, I was enjoying it, even though it's not the sort of thing I've normally listened to. That we were before we started recording. I had one of them on that we were we were grooving to. Yeah, I got a video of that. Oh, did you? Okay, maybe that can go up on YouTube. <laughs> I got no <laughs> shame. Um, yeah, so they got some some cool tracks actually. Uh, uh, that song was called "Such a Dick." Um, I also liked one called "Police State." Uh, there were others that we mentioned back in that World Cup final episode um, called mm. "Sexist" and uh, "Make America Great Again," which kind of feel more in that um, sort of punk sensibility, if not the punk music kind of ballpark. Yeah. If I rated the Caspers, how do you rate Pussy Riot? In what sense? Well, you can't compare them to the Caspers, really, because that's... I'm, I'm very much objectifying Casper Schmeichel. Yeah, which you're, right. we're, we're but, allowed to do, but we're not allowed yeah, to because, objectify Pussy Riot. No, no, that would directly go against Pussy Riot. And also, I'm not sure that I know what they look like other than pink ski masks yeah so yeah yeah if anything i th- that's that's great it's like um um are you familiar with billy eilish yes contemporary yes. pop sensation um i think she maybe this is she's changed her, her style recently but throughout the first few years of her career when she was humongous as a star she wore like big baggy clothes intentionally so that no one could objectify her based on her body she could only be a, only be judged on her music and what she says and you know that's it what people kind of should be judged on and i thought that mm-hmm. i think that that's really cool and pussy right kind of a similar thing where it's like it's not it doesn't matter that we're women and we're in music and the music industry tends to favor uh women who look a certain way whatever is in the within the zeitgeist i'm going to use the word zeitgeist again zeitgeist zeitgeist i've just learned it recently maybe that's why <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's actually it's about what they do and about what they say that matters yeah. And if anyone has something to say, it's Pussy Riot. Uh, what's really amazing about Pussy Riot as well is that normally punk bands have a relatively short shelf life. Like the Sex Pistols, famous and, and, and influential as they were, 
only really operated for about three or four years before they broke up and, you know, Sid Vicious killed his partner and then overdosed and Johnny Rotten went off and formed Pill and, like, like the Sex Pistols, like, big and powerful as they were, like, didn't last because the thing with punk music is it's it's... It's built on energy. It's like a supernova. It's going to, to, to you know, it's going to expand and, until it, it, there's nothing left. Yeah, I think a similar thing uh, well, happened in the US with Black Flag. Yeah, yeah. They were, they yeah. were huge. And um, at least in, in the punk scene, and even people who would never go see a punk, uh, sorry, go see a Black Flag gig or even a punk gig, yeah, they would have heard of Black Flag just because of their influence mm. was spreading. And they're, you know, yeah, exa- exactly what you mean. But then they only lasted maybe 10 years in, in the form that they were in. Um, I think yeah. less actually, to be fair, in the in like the real because Henry Rollins joined a few years into their into their run, and then he was only their lead man for I don't know probably less than ten years, five six years. Yeah, well, talking about Pussy Riot, like as a a band that have lasted for such a long time, they've had such a you know an ongoing presence and international influence. Like the fact that we're able to talk about a you know a feminist Russian punk band goes to show just like just how powerful they've been. But it also kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about today with with Russia and Putin and kind of continuing our conversation from from 2018. Like if you haven't listened to what we said about Russia in, in the 2018 World Cup, it's worth having a listen. I think it was our first ever episode. There was a lot to talk about uh, at that point. Um, but one of the reasons that the Pussy Riot have been so prominent is that every time they do something, they get arrested. And after the World Cup pitch invasion, I think they were in they were in prison for like fifty days or something like that. I seem to remember. Um, they keep doing these big stunts and they keep being punished for them, and that's the reason that they can keep doing it, is because they they keep doing stuff and then the reaction is so overt in an attempt to silence them that it makes what they've done echo louder, and that's very much the case with uh, today's topic, Alexei Navalny, who you may have heard a little bit about on the news uh, this year. I've seen the name. I don't really read the news much, I'll be honest. Well, then get ready for a thrill ride of Russian proportions. Uh, Alexei Navalny is, uh, is an interesting person who, again, whose influence and fame has been massively expanded because of the actions that the Kremlin has taken against him. Um, this kind of goes back as well to something that I used to say when I was living in China, which is that authoritarian governments that stamp down on free speech exponentially only manage to make things worse for themselves. And a really nice example of that was in, was in China, where there was that famous picture of uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping walking next to Barack Obama back when Obama was president. And Obama is a tall, a tall, skinny, fit, fit man. And President Xi was smaller than him, a bit shorter, 10, 15 years older. So he's got like a little bit of old man stomach, but he's, he's in good shape, but he's, he's just an, an older man, right? And so after there was that image of them walking next to each other, people went, wait a minute, they look like Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. <laughs> And so all of these all of these memes erupted over Chinese social media, over the over Twitter, over everything of Xi and Obama 
replaced with Pooh and Tigger, <laughs> right? And what happened was, in the end, that Winnie the Pooh is now banned on Chinese social media. Right, you cannot post a picture of Winnie the Pooh on Chinese social media because to do so is an affront to President Xi. Now, that says a lot about China as a country, right? But what it also shows is, and I'm going to say this because I don't live in China anymore, and I ain't going back. The government are cowards, right? If you are, if you are an authoritarian government that is terrified that the strength of your reputation will be diminished by Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> then how strong is your grasp on power? Right? Like, like famously, uh, authoritarian governments have always cracked down on, on comedy, censored speech, satire especially, uh, like, uh, cracked down on. But... The reason that nobody remembers that Obama was Tigger was because Obama never brought it up. <laughs> Obama was never like, oh, don't call me Tigger. I hate it. It's like, it's like being a, a, a weak kid at school where people call you Condom because your name's Dom and Condoms are rude. And you're like, oh, don't call me Condom. And so everyone calls you Condom forever yeah. because you've said you don't like it. Right. The minute that you as the Chinese president, one of the most powerful people in the world, probably the most powerful person, because um, the president of America has checks and balances on them and the president of China doesn't. So if you are the most powerful person in the world and you're like, oh, don't call me Winnie the Pooh, then all you are doing is showing how weak your position is, right? How desperate you are to, oh my God, it, 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 we're on shaky ground here. And if somebody thinks that I look like a children's cartoon character, then, oh, I don't like A.A. Milne, said President <laughs> Xi. And that is one of the reasons that Pussy Riot have been so successful in Russia as well, because every time they release one of their anti-Putin tracks, or they do something against the Russian government, they're like, yeah, stick them in prison. And then everyone knows about it because they stuck them in prison. Like after the World Cup, they stuck them in prison and everyone knew about it. Whereas if they'd just gone, who's that? Oh, I don't know. So it was someone. Yeah. And that is exactly the case with Navalny here. Navalny is now touted as the leader of the Russian opposition against Putin. But Navalny himself was just an anti-Putin blogger for, for a long time. Like, that was it. He, that was basically all he did. He was a blogger and he spoke out against the government. Not many people smoke out, uh, spoke out against the government. And as we spoke about in our, in our previous one, all of the most famous leaders of the Russian opposition die. Like that's that's pretty much it. As you, uh, if you're in in Moscow, if you're in Novokuznetskaya in in Moscow, you've gone for some drinks. You know, you're you're out and you're out in the in the city. Yeah, you're, you're partying, and somebody says, "Hey, why don't we walk to the Kremlin?" And you're like, "Sure, it's only a fifteen minute walk from here. Red Square's nice." So you walk to Red Square, but to get from Novokuznetskaya to to Red Square, Dave, you you've got to cross the bridge. All right, you, you've, got, you've got to go over the river. So you go over the river, and as you go, and you look to the left, and you go, why are all of those flowers there with a photograph of this man who I don't recognise, or vaguely recognise at best? Well, the reason that there's a photo of a guy there with flowers surrounding it was because he was Putin's opponent, and he was shot to death on that bridge. 
right in front of the Kremlin. It would be like if Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, was shot to death on Westminster Bridge opposite the Houses of Parliament. Right. Like like that's that's how like flagrant it is. They didn't try and kill him in Siberia. They killed him outside the Kremlin, 20 minutes from well, 20 feet from Red Square. I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. And that's what happens if you're the leader of the Russian opposition. Right. Um, so Navalny was just like a blogger. He, he said some anti-government stuff. Um, but then in, in 2020, he was on a flight and he fell ill. Uh, and so they, when he landed, uh, I think, I can't remember where he was flying to and from, but he landed, they took him to hospital and, uh, his, like his assistant, his spokespeople said, uh, yeah, he's been poisoned. And the Russian doctors were like, no, <laughs> no, he, don't be silly. He hasn't been poisoned. And they're like, we want to fly him to Germany to get him treated by someone who isn't, you know, an employee of the Russian government. And the doctors were like, no, you can't take him out of it. They, they got him out and they flew him to Germany. And when he got to Germany, that, yep, he's been poisoned. Sure. And uh, yes, and the poison may be something that you were well aware of. Do you remember Novichok? Uh, yes, I remember Novichok in Salisbury, not far from where I live. And uh, yeah, about uh, a couple of years ago, when, when did that happen? A few years ago? It was a few years ago. Yeah, it's yeah, about a yeah. year after it happened. Um, for for that following year, Salisbury, like it was desperate for people not to be afraid to go there, so they like made all the parking free and everything. And I went there to go yes. see a, a comedy show, and my friend, who is often hilarious and sometimes isn't, was walking around Salisbury going Novichok, <coughs> Novichok, and initially okay, the yeah. first couple of times it's funny, and then when people start to look at him, you're like, okay, dude, come on, this is a bit much. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Well, it was it was just before the World Cup, really. Was it? Which was it was in March of twenty eighteen. Yeah, which really that is a big part of why we were so angry at Russia at that time, um, because uh, I think there is actually one of the episodes where I shout about how they tried to kill people on our soil, or how they did kill people on our soil. I believe there's <laughs> an episode where I start shouting about that, um, and yeah, it was in their attempt to kill uh, Sergei. Uh, Sergei Skripal in, uh, in, in Salisbury and accidentally ended up killing English people um, while their targets got away. And the Russians have a long history of doing this. They, they have a history of killing people on British soil. Uh, they, they killed Litvinenko when they uh, poisoned him with like plutonium or something. And then he died of radiation poisoning. Uh, they, they tried to get uh, with Skripal, with, with, with Novichok, and Alexei Navalny was was the next person on that list. And Novichok was back. Now, the Russian government has always denied that they have anything to do with this. Right? They always said, yeah, it was Novichok, but no one knows who makes Novichok. The Russian government is the only organization in the world that makes Novichok. Right? So it's, bit, it's an old Soviet poison that was developed in the 70s and 80s. And I think in 2017, they, the Russian government declared, we've gotten rid of all our Novichok. And then the next year, people started dying of Novichok poisoning. And the Russian government is like, wow. Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. And it's that amazing ability that, that Putin and the Russians have. And it's an old Soviet tactic of doing something that was clearly you, but fervently denying it. 
and nobody can do anything about it, right? It's like leaving your fingerprints at a crime scene, but saying, no, 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 I've got an alibi. I was at my wife's house. And you're like, no, but you're, there's a videotape of you shooting the gun with your fingerprints on on the gun. It's like, yeah, but I wasn't there. Yeah, well, it's like, there's, we have a video, uh, audio recording of you um, claiming to... Of you sex- shooting a man. No, audio recording yeah. of you claiming to sexually assault women on a regular basis. And, right, right. But because you're the president of the United States, we're just going to, what, just forget about it? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's exactly what happened uh, with with the attack in Salisbury as well, where it was Novichok. They found the two guys that probably did it and they were like ex-KGB, basically. They're like old, old uh, in, um, Russian intelligence agents. And they were like, no, no, we were just on holiday in Salisbury to see the cathedral. And uh, there was nothing that anyone could do about it. That was, you know, that was it. They went back to Moscow. They're like, oh, no, it couldn't have been us. We were on the flight two hours after the, after the poisoning. So it couldn't have been us because we were already flying back to Moscow completely unsuspiciously after the poisoning took place. <laughs> you know? Were you fleeing the scene? No, 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 no. Um, but Novichok, again, this poison was used on Navalny and the Russian government went, no, we didn't poison him. But when it's your poison and everyone knows it's your poison and it's people that you don't like who are being killed by your poison. And you're going, no, 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 because nobody can do anything about it. But why not? Right? That's so frustrating. Why can't anyone do anything? Oh, because they can't prove. Right. They, they know it's a Russian made poison used by Russian agents on Russian targets. But because they can't literally find the paper trail of Vladimir Putin saying, please kill this man using this poison in Salisbury. Right. They, what, what's Theresa May going to do about it? Like, it was Theresa May was the prime minister at that point. Like what they should have done is close the border to all Russian citizens and expelled the ambassador of Russia and cut off trading ties and gone, this is unacceptable and the EU and America should have followed suit. Instead, it was like, no, we can't prove anything, so it's fine. And that's why Russia gets away with all the terrible things that it does. And Navalny is a really interesting case because unlike Litvinenko, who fled Russia because they were going to kill him, and unlike Skripal, who fled Russia because they were going to kill him, they tried to kill Navalny, and he was sent to hospital in Germany to recover from Novichok poisoning, and then the fucker went back. After, after he left hospital, they flew him back to Russia. He flew back to Russia on his own accord. Oh, gangster. To be, yeah, yeah, to be like, what, what you got? You've already tried to kill me. What, what else are you going to do? And they were, eh, we're going to put you in prison. And that's pretty much what's happened, right? There's very little evidence of anything that Navalny has done that is illegal other than speaking out against the Russian government, right? He spoke out against the Russian government, so they tried to kill him. Then he fled to Germany and everyone knew, well, he didn't flee to Germany. He was dying, so they took him to Germany. Um, and when he was there, the whole world found out about him. So when he went back to Russia, they're like, oh, we've got to put this guy in prison. And once again, the Russian government had made a superstar, a superstar leader of the opposition out of some random blogger who was badmouthing them on the Internet. And they've they've empowered him firstly by trying to kill him and then by when he returns to Russia, they put him on this big global uh podium basically he's been on hunger strike like he was a, he was a handsome man navalny uh i, I wouldn't say he's a casper schmeichel but he was a handsome <laughs> man 
And now, after months in prison, you know, he's... I, I can't remember if they put him in a labour camp. That's, that sounds familiar. But uh, he went on hunger strike. He's slimmed down. He's gaunt. Um, like, he is... He has been willing to literally to put his life on the line and then go back and face the consequences for it in in uh, opposition to to the Russian government. Um, and so what the the Russian court has done now, and this is in, within the last few days, uh, they, they've outlawed organizations that he that he founded. Basically, they, they've called them an extremist organization. Um, it's just attempts to silence opposition to Putin again and the more the more they do it the weaker the government seems because they're unable to stand any kind of opposition and if if you as a government can't aren't strong enough to face opposition to your power then you know then you're Winnie the Pooing yourself (laughs) You're Winnie the Pooing your pants every time a Navalny appears, you know. And the idea, of course, by, by outlawing these groups, like they, they've done things where they said um, being part of the group um, is a crime. Having shared, uh, having shared information that the group, uh, the group has put out is, is a crime. Um, because they've labelled them this extremist organisation. Well, famously, one of the things they put out, I think it was maybe late last year, early this year, they put out a video of this palace by the Black Sea next to Sochi. Remember when we spoke about Sochi, we said, oh, well, that's where Putin has his palace. And the Winter Olympics famously was in Sochi, even though it's the hottest part of Russia, so that they could put all of that money into infrastructure from the airport so that Putin could get to his palaces. Well, there's this Black Sea palace... Um, that they got an interior video of and Navalny's people put it out and said, this is leaked footage of Putin's palace by the Black Sea and it's ridiculous. Um, like it's lavish is an understatement. Um, but then another oligarch came out and said, oh no, it's not Putin's, it's mine. Uh, and nobody believes it. Everyone thinks this is Putin's palace. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but there were, when... Uh, Navalny was being sentenced in Moscow. There were big protests about it. And having lived and worked in in Russia and taught in Russia, like I know Russians who feel like Russians who are pro-Navalny and Russians who are anti-Navalny at the same time. It's not like a case where everyone is with him and like everyone hates Putin. That's not the case at all. Um, Like some of my, especially my younger students, uh, one of my younger students said to me, oh, yeah, one of my classmates, he was 16 years old and he was arrested for for protesting. Uh, and he's been in prison for the last two years. Oh, shit. And uh, then I've got one of my other students who's like, Navalny is a troublemaker and what he's going to do is undermine uh, undermine the strength of the Russian government at the time we need it the most. And like, maybe I don't like Putin, but Navalny is a crazy person. And what he's doing is indoctrinating the young people of Russia with like American propaganda. And like, it ranges on all sides from like, Joe Biden is trying to instigate a rebellion in Russia with the school children, uh, all the way up to storm the police stations and free Navalny. It's, yeah. It's a crazy, a crazy time. That's mad, yeah. Yeah. However, I don't think any of this is going to affect the Russian team. <laughs> well, this, their first game's in St. Petersburg. 
you not think they might be they might you might be able to feel the, this air of um of political discontent in their home country probably not in St Petersburg because St Petersburg is Putin's city um like it's where he's from he's generally pretty popular there there's more opposition to him in Moscow like Moscow is Moscow's really kind of like any other european city and then you leave moscow and you go you go out and it turns into like what you've seen of of soviet russia like the moscow is constantly being redeveloped the center of moscow looks like the the center of london or, or anything else um but you leave moscow and you go to like kazan or, or or somewhere like that um and you know it's it's still nothing has developed since the 1970s or 80s but st petersburg is still this grand city of russian history and majesty and you know it's it's the city where the putin calls home and it's here where he's you know it's one of his strongholds so I, I think it's pretty unlikely that we would see some discontent there more likely you would see something in moscow but as we saw in the world cup you know when they hosted things in moscow there was a real uh, a real joy of the fans who went to Russia for the World Cup. And it was great for me when I moved there because before I moved there, it wasn't, uh, nothing was set up for non-Russians, really. And then because of the World Cup, they had to put English everywhere. They had to make things more accessible because there were people coming from all over the world. So when I went to Moscow, it, it like I didn't have any of the old, oh, well, this isn't very international sort of thing. Like it is an international European city. Like there's, there's no doubt about that. And I think St. Petersburg has that same feel. Um, and I think just generally Russia in general, unless it's the people that want to storm the police stations, which are, uh, you know, there were there were protests all across Russia, to be fair. There were, in Navalny, there were. But I don't see anything major happening here. Like, the, the biggest thing that could happen is Pussy Riot return. <laughs> And I would be down for that. I'd be well down for that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe they'll release a, on, maybe they'll release a new single straight afterwards, like they did at the World Cup. Yeah. What do you reckon you call this one, Dave? If you're pussy, right? What would you call this one? I don't. Uh, well, the 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 track they released after the World Cup, after they stormed the World Cup was called um, "Track for a Good Cop." Yes, because yeah, Russian Russian police are famously heavy-handed. Shall we say? Yes. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. It seems like they had a very specific statement to make there, and they even dressed in kind of slightly outdated police uniforms when they ran onto the pitch. So if they were going to return, I don't know what would, what would they what would they be saying? What's what's um, would they? Would, do you reckon it would be a pro Navalny statement? Maybe, maybe COVID cuck, something something like that. Yeah. Maybe no COVID was a weird one in Russia because there was a time where Russia was, you know was one of the countries where it was the most serious. At the beginning, especially, it was one of the countries with the most deaths. And because I was I was the, in Russia for the beginning of coronavirus. And now, like, nobody cares in Russia about coronavirus. There's, like, you think about how serious it is for us here. Like, nobody in Russia gives a shit about coronavirus at this point. Um, very few people are wearing masks like it's people are going on holiday they're not leaving russia so much the benefit of having a huge country like russia is you can go on holiday anywhere you know um 
but there's nowhere near the same conversation around COVID in in Russia as there is mm. as there is. Yeah, in the well, UK. I do get this this unease about that in the UK because I've been at home working from home for got a good few months, and I've just so I, when I do go out, it's just to walk the dogs or go to the shops or whatever. And I've started to notice that people are not wearing their masks in shops anymore, even though none of the signage has changed, none of the law has changed. People are just getting more relaxed about it, and it's kind of coincided with summer arriving. So people are in their flip-flops and shorts and vest tops. And I guess a mask doesn't really, uh, doesn't really vibe with, with that outfit, you know, <laughs> or whatever yeah, the reason yeah. is, or it's harder to breathe because it's warmer or so maybe there are more, more reasonable excuses, but I get the feeling it is more of a relaxation of restrictions uh, and the people just don't really care about it anymore. They're sick of it. Like, well, fuck it. I yeah. want to enjoy my summer. So I'm just going, you know, I'm not going to, if I have to pop into Tesco Express for five minutes to get a bottle of sun cream, I'm not going to go get my mask and wash my, and sanitize my hands. I'll be in and out. Whereas, yeah, yeah a year ago it was, you, you know, same thing, but take every precaution. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think what Russia managed to do quite well was they instigated those like 14 day quarantines for people coming into the country. They were one of the first countries to do that, like that. It was like February, February 2020. They instigated like, if you're coming into the country, you have to quarantine for 14 days. It happened so fast that one of my friends in Moscow was caught by it because it wasn't there. Then he went away for the weekend to see family and came back and it was there and he had to quarantine for two weeks. Um, whereas the UK, we didn't do that for months months and months and months and in Russia it was enforced and in the UK it wasn't and I know it wasn't because when I came back from Russia it wasn't enforced and I did it because I took that responsibility on myself not to kill my family but in the UK we took it seriously in that oh yeah but you've got to wear your mask but they didn't put any rules in place and then every time things opened up again it all got worse whereas in Russia they took it reasonably seriously to begin with and their government paid people to stay home which you know sensible precaution you are you can't go and do your job don't worry about it we'll pay you to stay home i couldn't get that because i wasn't russian which was frustrating so i couldn't get the money from the russian government because i wasn't russian and i couldn't get the money from the uk government because i wasn't in the uk so you know that's just how the economy ends up screwing you over but the Russian government managed to stop new cases of coronavirus entering the country, whereas our country has been constantly hamstrung by these new variants entering the country because they don't they just let people come in and they don't put those rules in place. Right. They haven't said, oh, you have to, you know, but the reason that we have an, an Indian variant or a South African variant and so on and so forth is because they don't take precautions or they didn't take enough precautions on people entering the country. Whereas the Russians went, we're going to burn through coronavirus and loads of people died and it was terrible. And then about four months later, they're like, well, there's no more coronavirus because no one else is coming into the country anymore. And that, you know, that, that was how they, they culled it, I guess. Um, but it was horrible being there and being terrified of the virus. And you went to a supermarket and everyone is wearing their masks around their neck. Right. They, they wear their masks entering the, the supermarket because the security guard says, yeah, put your mask on. And then they immediately take it off once they get past the security guy. And that's it. And, you know, the, you, you put your mask on to get onto the, the metro, to get onto the train. And then because uh, the police are there to make sure you do. And then you get on and then they take their mask off. And there's like 
100, 200 people in this train carriage who have all taken their masks off. And you're stood there like, this is bananas. Um, and so when I left Russia, I was like, oh, phew, I'm safe. And I came back to the UK and there's bananas here as well. <laughs> so, yeah, the lesson. Move to South Korea because they're not bananas. Yeah. And I hear it's nice there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they're not playing in, in the Euros. Sadly not. It's not even an Asia Cup this year, I don't think. So the Casper Cup, of course, for, has already been won. Right, we know which team has the best Caspers. There's, there's not even a competition, frankly. Do you remember in the World Cup where we said that the Iranian team were ridiculously handsome and they they won at least the most handsome team? Is, they did. Is, is De- Denmark your your pick for the most handsome squad <laughs> of the Euros? Mm, you know what? I'll I'll let you know. Keep keep tabs of that, and because De- we'll we'll see as we go. Denmark definitely in the favourites because they have Kasper Schmeichel. But as we say, I don't know any of the Finnish players. So maybe when we see Finland play, I'll be like, hello, Finland. <laughs> it's these Scandinavians maybe... that you're into, isn't it? No, it might be, it might be the North Macedonians pop up and I'm like, hello, North Macedonia. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just, we just haven't got to them yet. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we do. Yes. So now before we, uh, we round up uh, our discussion on Group B here. As, we, as we've discussed previously, we're keeping a tally of a, of a few things. Most handsome team, most Casper team, uh, uh, the, who the golden boot is going to be, and of course, how many players COVID is going to knock out of the tournament. Now, I, I, I have said that if more players get COVID than the golden boot scores goals then this tournament was a bad idea from the start. Right. And they, they, should, they, should, they should have postponed it. But we're off to a bad start because the tournament hasn't kicked off. It kicks off tomorrow, actually. We're recording this on, on the Thursday. It kicks off tomorrow. And already at least three players have been removed from the tournament for coronavirus. We've got two Spanish players, including uh, Sergio Biscuits, and uh, one of the Swedish players as well uh, is, is down to, to coronavirus. So we're on at least three players now. Are they actually been removed from this whole tournament? Because I just thought the squads were isolating and it was, they caught it early enough that they could at least play. Because surely if someone in the squad has caught it and the whole squad is isolating, then no one can play if, if it's you know, within two weeks, right? I know that these players have to stay in isolation uh, for at least 10 days. And I think this is what they're kind of waiting for now, is whether the coaches decide to drop them uh, from the squad. Maybe it hasn't been decided just yet if they're going to. Um, but, you know, your, your players are... It's lucky that it happened now and not on Saturday or Sunday once the tournament kicked off. Because if it was after your first game or just before your first game and, you know, your players are out for 10 days, that's a sizable amount of the group stages, like if not all of the group stages. And you might be thinking, hey, maybe we could do actually with having an extra two players on the team. Yeah, you know, like um, how they've started introducing concussion uh, concussion substitutions like they do in rugby. Maybe they need to be like COVID substitutions where you can bring somebody out for a couple of games if you're going to be a couple of squad members down but it's temporary and as soon as that original player is free to play then 
the others have to leave. But then that's a lot of extra travel, isn't it? And we were talking about how um, the Euros is not going to be great for the environment because of all of the uh, plane travel that these teams are going to be doing. So sticking a few other footballers on a, for another flight probably is not the best idea. Yeah, I mean, like, this doesn't quite count for the Euros, but, like, even in, in the, the friendlies, you had uh, Scotland playing the Netherlands in a friendly recently, and six of the Scottish players had to pull out of the friendly because one of them had coronavirus and, you know, had to isolate. So yeah, well, with, it's um, going to be... With Spain, because after Brisquets and somebody else tested positive, they um, they had a pre-season friendly lined up against, uh, who was it, Bulgaria or somebody? And so they just mm-hmm. sent the under-21 squad instead. Just kept all the, the senior squad away, sent the under-21s, and they still won like 4-0 or something. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Spain under twenty ones. Well, what happens if there? Yeah, what if an entire senior squad is can't play because it's a COVID risk? Will they? They would have to replace them with the other twenty ones, would they? Or I don't know. I guess they must have these conversations in the background. What would happen? But what do you think? Yeah, me and me and Steve were talking about this, and we predicted it might actually be a chance for Northern Ireland to make their way through to the World Cup. We went through all of the league system, we went through the knockouts, the third place qualifying, and we said if Spain has to drop out because of uh, because of COVID, then Northern Ireland would be a fair team, would be in a shout to replace them, which would be great because that would be four British teams in the Euros, and that would be that would be something to that see. That would be cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, so watch this space. If all of Spain, all of the Spanish players get coronavirus because of Sergio Besquets Biscuits, then maybe Northern Ireland will finally get their chance on the big stage. So they'll be flying back from their holidays like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> I've been drinking and eating biscuits and damn you, Sergio Biscuits. <laughs> they'll say. Thank you very much for listening to our discussion of Group B. Dave says Belgium. I say Denmark. There's only one way to see. Next episode, uh, we'll be talking about Group C. Uh, and we will be doing that one in person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The tournament starts tomorrow. So for you guys, it will uh, will already be a few days in. I'm really excited about this, Dave. I'm really excited for the, for the tournament. And when we talk about Group C, maybe we'll even have seen some football. Oh my god. I th- but surely we will have, yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. But thank you guys for listening. Because this podcast is only going to be around for a couple of weeks, share it with anyone you know that may- maybe they like football, maybe they like politics, maybe they like Navalny, maybe they hate Navalny, maybe they really hate Winnie the Pooh. Maybe they love Pussy Riot. Oh, Pussy Riot! Pussy Riot! Pussy Riot, the official band of Who Watches the World Cup. <laughs>